Welcome back to Season 3 of Living Well. I'm your host, Mark Hennick. This is a show about well-being. Now, I've been a mental health advocate for the better part of 20 years, and if I were to include my early and many experiences as a patient in the mental health care system, then it's actually been a lot longer. And I sometimes do include that experience because it was that lived experience that was, and continues to be actually, foundational to everything in my life since that time, both personal and professional. And I mention that because of the many lessons that my worst moments taught me. I can think of two that are particularly relevant to this show. First, mental health means more than just the mind. And second, while the only way out is through, the only way through is together. I hope that both of these things that I've learned are reflected throughout this third season. Now, it shouldn't be any surprise to you that our mental health is critical for our overall well-being. I mean, we've been talking about it on this show for two seasons. But too often, I think our concept of mental health is too restrictive. It's easy to think that mental health narrowly means just our behavior, or only our emotion, or exclusively our neural activity. In reality, mental health is all of those things, but it's also so much more. Mental health is your access to nutritious food. Mental health is the stability of your housing. Mental health is a safe workplace with a livable wage. Mental health is connection to family, to friends, and to your community. If we want to take meaningful action on improving people's mental health, then we need to tear down the silos that separate these interrelated pillars of our well-being. So that's why on this season of Living Well, we're going to broaden the focus. I'm going to be talking with a range of guests not only about mental health narrowly, but about the mental, physical, financial, and social determinants of total well-being. As we kick off Season 3, regular listeners may also notice a few other changes. I used to introduce this show, The Living Well Podcast, from Morneau Chappelle. Well, first of all, we've upgraded from audio-only conversations about well-being, which is probably how you typically listen to podcasts. Now, you can still get those last two seasons of the show on Apple Podcasts, Google, um, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, all the other major platforms. You can still go back and listen to those great conversations, and I encourage you to do so. We had some really wonderful conversations. But now for this new third season, we're offering you video as well. If you're watching me right now, then you already know that. But if you're still listening on the old platforms, uh, then please head over and, and watch the video as well. I really hope that you can develop a better relationship with me, uh, but also our guests and the, the incredible guests that we have lined up for you this season. I'm going to be streaming these episodes uh, when they come live. Uh, and then they'll also be, of course, available on demand for you to watch whenever it works for you. On this episode today, I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, resilience. I'll be joined by Amy Morin, the best-selling author of the mega-popular 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do, along with Johnny Benjamin, an award-winning mental health campaigner from the UK. He's also a film producer, a public speaker, an author, and Johnny and I actually have quite a lot in common in our personal stories as well. But first, I want to explain one more change. I mentioned Morneau Chappelle, of course, who make the show possible. They're now known as LifeWorks, so it's now Living Well brought to you by LifeWorks. Same great company, just with a new name. Now, I'd like to give them, actually, the chance to get the season started by telling us more about that name change and how it reflects a more holistic approach to well-being. My first guests, both from LifeWorks, are Stephen Liptrap, President and CEO, and Paula Allen, Global Leader and Senior Vice President of Research and Total Well-Being. This is Living Well, and I'm your host, Mark Hennick. 
Stephen, I'm going to go to you first. Now, Morneau Chappelle, as I mentioned, changed his name to LifeWorks. So tell us about the name. What's what inspires the uh, the name from Morneau Chappelle to LifeWorks? Yeah, we thought it was a wonderful opportunity, Mark, when we thought about the evolution of the organization from when we started close to 60 years ago. We've really been moving a lot more into the well-being space. And we think about well-being as helping people around the world with mental health issues, physical, emotional, social issues, and all of those different things. And we really wanted to have an opportunity that every single time someone looked at our name, every single time someone looked at our brand, they had some sense of what we did. We were already sitting on the asset from an earlier acquisition of LifeWorks. And we just thought it really, really told the story about life and work getting those things in the right balance, making sure that we build resilience between those two things. And the fact that we've got 27 million employees of our clients around the world, again, it was the opportunity that every time they saw our brand, they had a better idea of what we did and we could live our purpose every single day about improving lives. And that's such a a holistic, I think, wraparound uh, service and and message that you offer. Now, Paula, the focus of our last two seasons on this show were the many ways in which uh, COVID-19 had impacted people's well-being. And we discovered that it it pretty much impacted their whole lives, right? So now that idea of total well-being is central to the new brand as well. So tell me more about that. What is, operationalize this for us, I guess. What is total well-being to you? Well, the purpose of the organization is to improve lives and improve businesses as a result of that. And when we're talking about improving lives, there's so many different things that impact your quality of life, your productivity, you know, being your best. So mental well-being is absolutely essential to it. And and many would say it's the core of well-being, but we know that it's impacted by financial well-being. We know when social life and social well-being impacts uh, everything in life and physical and mental well-being are so connected as well. So really our purpose is to help people be at their best, healthy and productive. So all of those aspects are important to everything that we do. Yeah, and, and we know how all of these domains can impact certainly our resilience as well. And, you know, resilience, that's going to be the focus of our episode today. I've got some great guests coming on uh, in addition to yourselves to flesh this out a little bit more in each of those domains that you mentioned, too. We're going to have conversations in the uh, mental, social, financial uh, and physical aspects of mental health and, and resilience in particular, I think, plays into that. So, Stephen, you know, thinking a, a bit more about this uh, idea of resilience. I'm wondering if you can give me some of your personal perspective on resiliency uh, during COVID-19 over the last nine, 18 months or so, sure. Um, but also whether getting a bit deeper into whether this shared experience that we've all been going through has changed the social context of work as well. Yeah, I think it's a couple of things, Mark. So the first thing I would say is to me, it really does come down to a continuum of care or continuum of interaction. And when we think about what people have needed through this, I think back to, you know, how do we make sure people are connected socially? Well, if they've got a platform or a way that they can recognize other people, if there's some way that they can feel connected to the organization, it's one of the reasons that I think the video um, interactions have really taken off. It's given people a chance to see each other and to interact with them in a very different way than before. And you move along that continuum of care and you think about people 
being anxious, feeling depressed and all of that. And you've got to figure out how can you reach out to them or when we're all in those situations, how can we connect in a very different way? And I know for us as an organization, we've very much missed walking down the hall, bumping into other people, having a chance to ideate. I think we and many other organizations have done an exceptional job working through this, but I think we've borrowed a little bit from an emotional bank and we've borrowed from deposits we've made in the past when we've been able to see people in the office, when we've been able to have dinners with people, when we've been able to get a coffee. And I keep thinking, you know, we've drawn down that bank account and we need to start replenishing that as soon as we can. And I think we're going to need to connect with people in person to be able to do that. I think the world will change going forward and we will be way more flexible and people will be able to walk out of the office at three o'clock and pick up video at six at night and maybe catch their kids event that they would have missed before. So I do think it'll change in many, many positive ways. But I think, you know, if we were, I just don't think we can ever move to a world of 100% remote because I think we're humans and we need that interaction at the end of the day. Sure. And it's all about being adaptable, right? And responding to the situation on the ground as it is. I mean, that's what resilience is all about. So, I mean, that's been central, I think, that idea to my to much of my life. I mean, I put the word resilience, we're in a three shot here, so you can't see it, but the word resilience is in the title of my book too. <laughs> but I think that we need to be able to be flexible in these kinds of environments. And that's, I think that's what um, COVID taught me in, in many ways, what this pandemic uh, really brought home for me. So Paula and Stephen, feel free to jump in here too, if you want. But Paula, what have you learned personally uh, over the last year and a half uh, th- that, has, that will serve you well moving forward into the future? Yeah, I, th- I think what this last year and a half taught me was really not to take for granted some of the things that we take for granted. And, you know, there, it's not just who you have in your life or what you have in your life, but how you even spend your, your, your time. So obviously what was very important to me is social connections, connections to my family, like, no, like, like many people, very important in terms of just, you know, giving yourself that sense of balance and, and meaning and, and, and belonging uh, with other groups. And very grateful that we had the technology to allow that to happen even in a different way. Uh, the other thing that was really important to me is variety, a variety of experiences, you know, being challenged at work, doing things that were fun, physical activity, just sort of having a little bit of a balanced diet for my brain. And sometimes in your regular day, you just take that for granted because you've built a routine, but we had to be very intentional about the things that, that we need. So it really made me very, very grateful that we had so many options with technology and with creativity to do what you needed to do. And it made me very aware of what I needed to do in order to take care of my well-being, which is that social connection and that variety in my day. And I think the thing that really strikes me that Paula said is really around variety. And I think about in the very beginning of the pandemic, like probably many people, I would get up, I would go on the first Teams or Zoom call, I would have them booked back to back through the whole day. Maybe you'd have 10 minutes to try and grab lunch or something. And you just found you got to the end of the day and you were exhausted. So what really struck me was if you could weave in some variety, and for me, it looked like putting audio calls in the middle rather than doing video back to back. It was booking walking meetings and getting a chance to be out in a different environment when you 
work with people when you talk to them. It was about switching from 30 minutes or 60 minutes meetings that will back up against each other to 45 minute meetings and 20 minute meetings so that there was natural break in between. And the other one I did, frankly, was I replaced my commute in the morning, going to the office with walking the dog. So I just went in my mind, if I could normally commute, why not take the dog for a walk in that time and get out there? And that really made a difference to me to, you know, get out and get to see something different and really break up the routine. So I think Paul is really onto something with variety. And I think hopefully we can maintain all that as we go forward, because it really is important. It's a spice of life variety. <laughs> Stephen Liptrap <laughs> is the president and CEO of LifeWorks. Paula Allen is the global leader and senior vice president of research and total well-being at LifeWorks. Thank you both for being here today. Thanks for having us. We are always moving forward. In our changing world, there is an unchanging principle for success that inspires us by improving a person's life. We'll improve how they perform at work. We are LifeWorks. We're the world's leading total well-being provider. We are innovators with tech-enabled solutions and one integrated platform. We have the scale of a large company with the agility of a startup. We are experts in our sector and are continually learning so that we continue to be valued and trusted partners. Our mission is to improve people's lives by supporting the whole person, their mental, financial, physical, and social well-being. We empower people to prioritize their well-being and help them with challenges at important moments in their lives. We believe this creates happy, healthy, and empowered people. These people are the heart of successful organizations, leading these organizations to a more resilient future and making a real difference in the world and in our communities. We are moving forward with purpose, improving lives, improving business. We are LifeWorks. Welcome back to Living Well. I'm your host, Mark Hennick. My next guests are Amy Morin and Johnny Benjamin. Amy is the editor-in-chief of Very Well Mind. She is the international best-selling author of 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do, and she's the author of several subsequent books on mental strength, including most recently, 13 Things Strong Kids Do. Thanks for being here, Amy. Thanks for having me. We've also got Johnny Benjamin over here. Johnny, uh, in 2014, launched a social media campaign called Find Mike to search for the stranger who had talked him out of taking his own life back in 2008. We have a lot of, in common, his story and mine. He found that stranger, Johnny did, and in a story that went viral around the world. He's now the author of two books, The Stranger on the Bridge, and most recently, The Book of Hope. Johnny, thanks, thanks to you as well for being here. No, thank you for asking me. Thank you. Uh, Amy, I'd like to come to you first. You know, this is a conversation about resilience and, and what resilience is, what it looks like in real life. So uh, when I think of resilience, I think of strength, of course, and this is something that you've talked a lot about. So I'm hoping you can give us a bit of an operational definition here. What is mental strength? What are the parameters of that? So there's three parts to mental strength. It's about the way you think, the way you feel, and the way you behave. 
So when it comes to thoughts, it's about knowing that you don't have to believe everything you think. Your brain lies to you sometimes. It's not about always being overly positive because we know that overconfidence can be just as detrimental as being underconfident. But it's about knowing that you can think realistically and that you it's okay to accept your weaknesses. And the emotional part is about knowing that you don't have to be happy all the time, but you also don't have to stay stuck in a place of pain. We have some control over how we feel in terms of regulating our emotions, the intensity, the duration of an uncomfortable feeling. And then the behavioral part is about what do we do with that? So it might be about taking action on the days when you don't feel like it or figuring out how do you do something positive for yourself or someone else, no matter what's going on in your own life. And people often talk about mental strength and resilience like they're interchangeable, but I argue that they're not. Resilience is about bouncing back from tough times, but mental strength is really about reaching your greatest potential during tough times, but as well as when times are good. We don't just want to build mental strength for catastrophic events. We want to build it so that even when life is going well, we can reach our, our great greatest potential, whatever that may be for us. This is such a, a good point. You know, I think we're often behind the eight ball when it comes to uh, helping people to recover. We're waiting for the worst possible moments in their life or their crisis and then saying, look at you. Now, now you're normal again. Now you're not struggling and suffering horribly again. And Uh, Johnny, I I think this is really relevant to your story as well. I mean, you and I were both saved by complete strangers during uh, suicidal uh, crises. Uh, We've both had long-term battles with depression and uh, mental illness. So tell me a bit about what that crisis side looks like uh, at the bottom, and particularly on that feeling of of stuckness. I, I called it in my TED Talk um, uh, uh, cognitive rigidity or, or that feeling of that perceptual collapse that happens around you uh, when your strength is compromised. Uh, tell me a bit more about your story and how that manifested for you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a horrible place. It's a horrible place, um, you know, when, when you reach that uh, rock bottom. I've been there a few times and um, I actually, uh, most recently uh, during the pandemic, um, in 2020, um, I had a, a relapse and I, I went back into hospital. And um, yeah, it's tough. It's so tough. It was particularly tough, obviously, because of the pandemic and the lockdown and the restrictions that were in place, like in the hospital. Um, so yeah, but I have. I've been there quite quite a few times. I think um, you know, I don't think it, I don't think it's ever as bad as that first time that I got really unwell that I ended up on that bridge and you know was stopped by that stranger um that was that was true like rock bottom like you know no come I thought no coming back from that um obviously you know there was coming back from it but um it's it's just it's just I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy that that feeling of um uh, despair I guess is the right term it's, it's just complete and utter despair and um a feeling of um well the I think the feeling is you know I'm not going to get better I'm not going to come out mm. of this I'm, I'm stuck you know you mentioned the word stuck I think that's um a really good word it's that feeling of um yeah just being completely sort of um there's there's no moving forwards you are just completely sort of um clouded by yeah you know those thoughts those feelings and um this is yeah it's it's a really 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 difficult position to be in um and i don't think you know people 
when they talk about mental health or when they try and support you, if they haven't been there, then, you know, it's hard for them to understand. I think uh, I know, you know, my family and friends, uh, they try and support me. But when I'm in that place, um, yeah, sometimes it's sort of hard to, to reach me. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Now, Amy, tell me about, because um, you mentioned this idea of, of, you know, not believing everything you think, but you also sometimes hear conflicting advice, you know, to honor yourself and to trust your feelings and your thoughts and, and things of, and your reactions of things. So where is the balance there? I mean, I've experienced what Johnny is experiencing, where you don't think that there's any way out. You think it is rock bottom and nothing will ever change. Um so at what point do you do you say to yourself, no, that's my depression lying to me or, or whatever the issue is? And at what point do you do you listen and follow that instinct? Great question. So we know that we make our best decisions in life when our emotions and our logic are in check. When we're really emotional, our logic goes down. So when you're anxious about something, when you're really sad, ideas that you wouldn't normally entertain seem like a good idea or things that you would normally do, maybe you shy away from. So it's important to know what your emotional state is and just check in with yourself. How am I feeling right now? Am I really sad? Am I really anxious? And, and then when it comes to your thoughts, sometimes it's about taking a step back and say, what would I say to my friend who had this thought? If my friend said, life is awful and it's never going to get any better, would I say to them, yeah, you're right. Things are horrible and they're going to stay that way. Probably not. You'd probably have some kind words for them. So sometimes it's about taking a step back so you can be a little bit more objective. And sometimes it's about knowing I can't really trust the way that I'm thinking right now because I am battling depression. I am battling anxiety. So knowing that you have somebody in your life who will you can trust, who when you say, is this true? Or this is how I'm feeling. What do you think? And they can give you those words that you maybe can't give to yourself in that moment. That can be really important, whether that be a therapist, a family member, a friend, somebody who can help you realize that the way you're thinking might be completely irrational and things will change when you feel better. Your thinking will change too, but until you get there, you might not be able to trust what your brain says. Hmm. Now, Amy, I, I think that there's probably two kind of tracks that people get to these uh, places, this this compromised resilience or whatever it is, the struggle. Uh, I think one is probably developmental. Maybe they just never developed that mental strength to begin with. Maybe they didn't have good models as children, whatever it might be. Uh, and in other cases, it's almost like a mental injury or an atrophy. Maybe you don't practice it enough or something significant happens that really, really um, tilts you off. Um, do you... I guess, where do you start with, with rebuilding uh, or building the first time uh, the skills that you need to get better uh, at resilience, at becoming mentally stronger, uh, wherever your, your starting point is? It makes more sense if we think about it in terms of physical strength. If you wanted to get physically strong, where do you start? You start with maybe just one exercise a day or you create your own exercise plan. Mental strength is the same. You can decide, okay, what do I need to work on and how do I want to work on that? Simple things like writing in a gratitude journal or just identifying and naming your feelings a couple times a day. Or maybe it's about asking yourself those questions. What would I say to a friend who had this problem? Lots of simple things that you can start incorporating into your everyday life and picking which exercises work best for you. Just like if somebody's going to the gym, they might prefer free weights. Somebody else prefers working on the machines. That's okay. It's about figuring out what's going to work best for you and what's a plan that you can actually stick to. Johnny, what's your relationship with relapse now? I mean, I find anybody who's relapsed a lot, 
I've had depression since I was 12, I think. Um, the first few, you kind of, I had this feeling of, oh, not this again. Why can't I get through this? But then later relapses, I kind of, I guess, I don't know if I shifted my mindset on it where it became more of, I've been here before. I've gotten through this before. I'll get through it again. So I, I noticed a change in my relationship with relapse. And I guess I'm wondering what your experience of that has been. Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. Um, I think, uh, I mean, look, it's always tough. It's always really tough whenever I, I relapse. Usually when I relapse, I have to go into hospital. Um, because for me, I have a um, schizoaffective disorder, which is, you know, got a sort of element of schizophrenia. And so usually I'll go into a psychotic episode when I relapse. And, and that usually results in me going into hospital. And that's that's always, always really, really tough. But, you know... It's different. It is different nowadays when I when I relapse. Uh, you know, I'm very lucky. I've got a really great psychiatrist that, yeah, is just really great and, and a really amazing therapist as well. And both of them, you know, I feel really supported when I relapse now. Um, we, we, I never felt like that before. Um, and my family, my friends, they 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 get it now. You know, I, I used to. Um, you know, they'd say to me at the beginning when I relapsed, they'd say to me, um, I don't get it. I thought you were okay. I thought you were better. I thought you were fixed now or whatever. And it was really hard to sort of, you know, um, ex explain or, yeah. But now it's different. Like I'll say to my family, my friends, I'm not well. And they get it. They get it. They get that I, I'm going to take time off or I'm going to isolate myself maybe for a bit. And uh, they give me space and... Um, yeah, I feel, um, I do, I feel very lucky. I feel very grateful that um, I have that kind of support and understanding around me. Um, and, and so, yeah, and so I, I think my, I have to say, I think my recovery rate is, is quicker now in my relapses because I've got the support and I've got tools like mindfulness that, you know, I, I, I use and, and, and therapy. I have, I have CFT, uh, a compassion focused therapy, which I find really helpful. Um, so yeah, I've got uh, exercise. I've got, I've got things in place. Whereas again, my relapses in the beginning, it was just, there was nothing. I, I just, yeah, I had nothing. You know, it's funny. I think people laugh at me sometimes when I say it, but I'm really quite sincere when I say it, that I, I learned how to get really good at being depressed. You get better at it as you go. And I think you learn the skills that work for you. And, and like Amy mentioned, it's, it's very much almost mm -hmm. like a, like a physical training, uh, that you get better and better. And, and what I hope people realize too, again, like Amy mentioned, is that this stuff isn't just for responding to crisis. It's not just for the worst moments. These are skills that we can learn, and these are therapies and supports we can put in place uh, to be even better than we were before. Um, so thank you both uh, for joining me. That's all the time that we have today. Unfortunately, time flies when you're having fun. Uh, Amy Morin is the editor-in-chief of Very Well Mind. Her latest book is 13 Things Mentally Strong Kids Do. Johnny Benjamin is a, an advocate, a powerful advocate. He's all, you're also a knight, aren't you, uh, uh, Johnny? Uh, no, I'm not a knight. I wish I was a knight. So cool. Oh, well, an, an no, MBE. I apologize. I'm Canadian. MBE. No, no, no. <laughs> Johnny Benjamin. Uh, his latest book is The Book of Hope. Please check out both of those. Thank you both for joining me. We'll be right back. Thanks for joining us today on Living Well, brought to you by LifeWorks. 
Please share this episode with your networks and tag me on social. I'm at Mark Hennick. That's at M-A-R-K-H-E-N-I-C-K on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and everywhere else. Start a conversation about the episode with me. Uh, Let me know what you liked, what you didn't like. If you want to pass along some messages to any of the guests that we had today, let me know that too, and I'm happy to, uh, to try my best to help you with that. Uh, Search Living Well, hosted by Mark Hennick on Apple Podcasts, and hit that subscribe button. And make sure that you like the show, too, on YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you listened or watched the show, whatever platform you're on. Uh, Please engage with it there. That really does mean uh, a lot to us. So until next time, I'm Mark Hennick. Take care and live well.